0: Hello, and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. As we get into the word of the Lord, we're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians, Chapter number six. And then I'm also gonna read a passage from Matthew chapter number twelve. So I'll give you just a moment to find those two. Second Corinthians chapter number six. Matthew chapter number twelve. there. Alright, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, reading uh, verses 17 and 18. The writer says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be My sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It's a pretty powerful promise that God Himself says, if you'll come out from from the filthiness of sin, come out from the world, separate yourself to me. I'm going to be a father to you. And you're not just going to be a subject which I've created, but you're going to be my sons and my daughters. Going to the book of Matthew, Chapter number twelve, uh, verses forty-six through fifty. So the context here is Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people, and his mom and his brother and have made their way to the outskirts of the crowd, and they need to they need to talk to Jesus, and so word has filtered up to to him, um, and it says in verse forty-six while he yet. Talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak to him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak to thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. I want to talk to us today on, on just the, the title, Adoption. Adoption. Jesus, throughout His Word, speaks of granting sonship to those that are willing to live according to His commandments. We see this. In fact, the passage that we read from Corinthians is is a quotation of an Old Testament promise. God on multiple occasions had communicated to His people that if you're willing to uphold My commandments and do the things that I've promised to you, I'm going to, to adopt you. I'm going to put My name upon you. You're going to be My sons and My daughters. This illustration of adoption communicates several things that just Sometimes we, we read past things or we say things like adoption and we forget all that it entails. Number one, when, when I consider the idea of adoption, the first thing that has to happen is it has to strip me of my old identity. Of my old identity. Now, I would say just our culture, but I think many cultures are like this. There's a lot of pride taken in one's family, one's family name. I mean, your, your last name, your namesake, your heritage, your ancestry. We, we spend money looking up where we came from and who we are. But as Christians, there's something that happens when I decide I'm going to take on the name of Christ. And that is, it strips me of my old identity. So it's almost an an affrontal attack. If I were to say, Jonathan, you're you're not just Jonathan Reese. In fact, you're you're no longer Jonathan Reese. You're you're Jonathan Christ, and that's a true statement. But but even here in the church setting, if someone were to say that to me, you're not you're not Jason Brooks. You're you're Jason Christ. You're you're no longer tied to. The handle or the identity of Brooks. There's something about that within the flesh that cringes a little bit because by and large, we like who we are. There's, there's something in the flesh. But if I'm truly going to embrace this, this concept of adoption by God, I have to be willing to let go of everything that I was. Even when this is preached sometimes... We skip over all the things we like about ourselves and we name all the vile, nasty, dirty things that we don't like about ourselves. And we say, see, you don't have to do those things anymore. You're a new creature in Christ. But that applies to all the good things as well. We completely uh, strip ourselves. We eradicate the old man and we become something new, something new. It places us in a relationship, a new relationship with Jesus. The scripture uses so many different parallels and and God relates to us on so many different levels. Um, The scripture talks about him being a friend. The scripture talks about him being like a brother. Because he's identified with everything we've gone to. We're we're, uh, co-laborers with Christ. We're a lot of different things. And so it's possible... For me to have a semblance of relationship with God and not yet experience sonship. But there's something about it when the decision is made that I'm going to let go of, of everything that I was before. I'm going to come out from, from all of that. And I'm going to separate myself to God. And now he's, he's going to fulfill His promise and He's going to make me His son. He's going to make you His daughter. Now I know Him as my, as my father. And it also binds us to everyone else who is or whoever will make the decision to obey Jesus throughout time. Let's let's fully disclose the, the thing here. You're not the only one. Is anybody an only child? So we all know what it's like to have siblings. So when I make this decision... But I'm I'm gonna come out from among I'm gonna and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit and then I'm gonna come out from the world and I'm gonna separate myself to God and He's gonna be He's gonna be my Father. That is a very personal statement, but don't forget He's also your Father and your Father and your Father. So that means now I've got a lot of siblings that I didn't have before. So it, it completely changes my my relationship with a lot of people around me when i consider adoption like physical adoption that takes place nowadays it's a it's an incredible thing for one but it's also a, a very intentional decision i don't know what it would feel like to one day find out that that i was adopted i don't know what kind of emotions would come up i, I can't even begin to think about that because i've never been in that situation but I just try to imagine a child that's, that's six, seven years old. They're old enough to remember maybe what things were like, whether or not they had siblings, no matter what their relationship with an old family was. You got a family that knows what it was like before that child was there, before that individual was a part of their family. And now those two worlds just, they just collide at mock speed. I mean, it goes from they weren't connected to now they are. Legally binding, they are a family. There's a little bit of friction, I would imagine, that takes place there as people find their role in these new relationships. I want to answer two questions today. Number one, how does this adoption take place? And number two, what does this new family look like? How does it take place and what does it look like? The legal adoption process in in scripture. Uh, remember in our text in Second Corinthians it said that we had to come out from among them and be separate. Come out from who? I mean that's one thing to, to question and consider. Who are we coming out from? From the multitudes of humanity that accept an intentional, sinful lifestyle. Okay? Because I wish that I could tell you that once I came out from, from the world, we use that term in the church a lot, and I, I think sometimes people just don't know what we're talking about. The world, the, the people that have embraced sin as a lifestyle that they choose, we separate ourselves from that. I may still make mistakes from time to time. There are going to be times that I find out I'm still not quite where God wants me to be, but I alter and I change as that is revealed to me. Okay, so there's a difference in, how do people say it? Well, nobody's perfect. There's a vast difference in admitting that, yes, I'm not perfect, and indulging in sin just because I can find fault in somebody else's life. So I'm coming out from, from among the people that have that mindset, and I'm choosing to view things differently, and be ye separate. So let's go to another Bible word, sanctify sanctification That's a big word. It sounds real spiritual. What it means is, like, uh, I'm going to go to the um, instruments that would be used in the tabernacle. It would, they would be like a pot or a, a vessel, and it would look like all the other vessels. But that one was special because it was not going to be used for anything other than use within the temple. So it was, it was set apart. It was brought out from the rest. And it was also sanctified or set apart for the use of God. So he says, if, if we're willing to do those two things legally, we, we push ourselves away from everything that's worldly and we commit ourselves to serving God with all that we are, all that we have. Then he says, then I'm, I'm then willing to become your father and you're going to be my sons and my daughters not just removed from sin, but also dedicated to Jesus. I'm going to quickly read through the passage in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is where a man named Nicodemus comes and he speaks to Jesus in the night. He says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came... into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So, Hale, top quiz." You are a part of, of my family, of our family. When did you become a part of our family? When you were born. Every single, you know what we all have in common? We became a part of the family we're a part of when we were born. You were born into that family. That's the only way it could have happened unless you were adopted. Jesus uses this illustration to communicate this principle to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus can't understand it because he's viewing things through a fleshly perspective. Jesus says, hey, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? You want to be a part of the family of God? You need to be born again. Nicodemus says, well, that might be kind of challenging. Jesus goes on to to communicate and reiterate to him, it's not a physical birth that I'm talking about, but there's a spiritual birth that takes place when a person is baptized and filled with my spirit. This is is played out through other portions of Scripture. I don't really have time to fully walk down that path. But he says you have to be born again. A lot of times people come after they're touched by God. It happened just a couple weeks ago and somebody comes up and they're like, how do I join the church? Like, where's the paperwork? What's the legality? How, what do I got to do? What hoops do I have to jump through? And I appreciate the context and the question because at least they're, they're feeling like they need to make some kind of commitment. But we as people do not have the ability to add people to the family of God. I cannot say to somebody, well, you got to read these three chapters, you got to fill out this paperwork, you got to attend this class, and bada bing, bada boom, you're a part of the family of God. I don't have the authority to do that. It's not my name to give. We, we become a part of the family of God when we're born into this thing. When I go down in the waters of baptism, and just like Jesus said here, I'm, I'm born again of the water. That's why it's so important that we baptize in the name of Jesus. Because there's something that's being called out over my life that, that I'm not who I was before, but I'm, now I'm, I'm a part of a family. And that family name is the name of Jesus. And then I'm born again of the Spirit and God fills me with the Holy Ghost and I speak in other tongues. This is a process though and and we always skip to the end. That's the end. It starts with belief. How do I begin to be born again? Well, I've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the only hope for my salvation. I've got to begin to put faith in His statements. And when I read the Word of God... See that it may not line up with what I, what I see in the flesh, but I'm going to believe what Jesus said. I'm going to put my faith there. Because my faith is there, I'm going to act on that faith and I'm going to, to begin to make actions of repentance. I'm going to turn away from sin. This is where the process starts that we read about in Corinthians. Turn away from sin. Come out from among them. Then I'm baptized. Then I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And then guess what? I continue to live a life in pursuit of holiness. It's not that, you know, check the box. I got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. Now I just do whatever I want to do. No, I continue to live a lifestyle of holiness. I continue to honor the name that the Lord has placed upon me. Amen? Amen. That is how it happens. That's the only way it happens. There's no other way... According to the word of God, to become a part of the family of God. So there are a lot of misled people that are in this world calling God father that have not experienced this adoption, this this sonship or daughtership. What do I get? What what's this new family look like? Well, you got a brand new daddy. Look at somebody and say, Who's your daddy? That might be offensive in any other context. People say that to mock and to mimic and to make fun and poke fun. But you know what, when I'm, when I'm adopted, I got a brand new daddy. I got a new father. And there's a whole variety of things that come to mind when that statement is made because there's a whole variety of circumstances under which people have grown up. And a whole variety of relationships that people have had with their own fathers. Sin has so destroyed the structure of the family that it's difficult for many to hear this title and maintain a positive mindset. They come in and we're like, hey, praise God. God's going to be your father. And they're like, uh, I don't know if I want that. Because I had an earthly father with not nearly that much power, not nearly that much wisdom. And he manipulated me. He abused me where we didn't get along. And there's all these things. He abandoned me. He ran away. On the other hand, there's people that have had a fantastic relationship with their father. And so you say to them, guess what? You got a new father. They're like, well, I like the father I have. But the Bible says that that when we're adopted, we got a new father. We have a heavenly father. And whatever my relationship (laughs) with my earthly father is, doesn't really matter eternally. We're not we're not gonna get to heaven and wonder, you know, whose bloodline we're a part of. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful father. He's a good father. You know, I could break in the psalm here, but none of you would like it. We sing about it because we recognize that you know what? He's a he's a good dad to have. Let me tell you some things about Jesus as a father. He's dependable. He is very, very dependable. You know what, as, as, as a father, not because I neglect my children or neglect my family, but because of all the pressures of life, there are times that I struggle to be dependable to my children. So I try to be very careful when I, I make promises or I give my word, because as a child, when your father gives his word, it's like etched in stone, man. You're, you're counting on that to happen. And so I, I try to be careful because I know that life has a way of pulling and, and and just demanding attention sometimes. But God's dependable; He doesn't let us down. He's not short on time. He's not short on resources. He's a dependable Father. He's a protector. In a healthy in a healthy home, a child looks at at Dad as the strongest, toughest. Right, Haley? Why don't you take over? Picking on you a little bit today. Samuel, tell us about how great your dad is. I won't put you on the spot. But that's what we do. I mean, we look at our, our dads and we think, man, that guy could lift a vehicle with one hand. He could just, anybody who was to ever try to harm us, oh boy, they'd be in trouble because my dad could beat up your dad. And we get this, this mental picture, but you know what? Jesus, he's a good father. He's a protector. No one can pluck us out of His hand, the Scripture says. No one. It says, what can separate us from the love of God? And then it goes on and on. Nor, nor height, nor depth. Powers, or principality. None of these things have the ability to separate me from the love of the Father. He is, he's a provider. You know It's kind of nice to have a rich dad. I didn't have that in this life. But you know what? My Father in heaven... He's got all the resources in the world, and then some that we don't even know about yet. The scripture says, you know, it says things that we just have a hard time relating to. We talk about God's wealth and we say things like, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. People are like, well, I don't need cattle. I need more money. It's relatable. He he has the resources, but he's also a wise father. And he doesn't just throw resources at every problem we find ourselves in, he doesn't just bail us out. You know, sometimes a good dad doesn't bail you out because you don't learn anything. He lets you learn the lessons. They stand back and they're close enough to know what's going on and maybe just far enough that you don't see them. And they're, they're allowing you to learn and to grow. He's a wise father, he's a loving father, and a merciful father. He's a teacher. That's a good thing to have in a dad. It's great to have a dad that can do all these things for you. But at some point, you're going to be away from dad and you're going to need to know how to change that tire yourself. The scripture tells us that he's a teacher. He's a, he's a dad that brings joy to the family. Again, I'm just, just convicting me today. I don't want to be the dad that when I walk into the room, that the, every, every time it just goes somber. Oh, Dad's home. Dad, Dad's home. Get serious. I, I'm trying to think of an example, and I don't have any. This is probably where they could help me out. But the nice thing about just being with family is you can be way weirder than you can be with when you're not with this family. And it's all right just to make people laugh every now and then. I'm glad that when we walk into church and there's some people that approach religion this way, sit back, chair, sit down, be quiet, Repeat after me, don't make any noise, don't cause any disruption, because, because, God's here. No, he's a God that brings joy to the room. He's a, he's a good dad to be around. You ought to put a smile on your face when you spend time with the Father. There's also, in this, this new relationship, there's a mother. It's good to have both.
1: Galatians
0: chapter number 4, verses 22 through 26. Paul is writing to the church here and he's making a comparison to them all the way back to Abraham. And a mistake that Abraham made when he took the bondservant of Sarah, his wife, Hagar, and he had a child with her trying to uh, speed up the process of promise. And that was not the will of God. And he's using that illustration to communicate some some New Testament truths to them um, here in Galatians chapter 4. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these things are two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai. Now, help me out here. I just got to make sure we understand this. What happened at Mount Sinai? Huh? The law was given. So he said these, these two children, these two situations represent two covenants. The first of which was given at Mount Sinai. Which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Without the understanding of the story in Abraham, it's hard for us to track and to follow here. But Paul is letting us know: listen, there was there was something that happened, and he went back to a story that they were all familiar with, and he began to tell the story of Abraham and how Abraham had again he tried to short circuit the process, and he got involved with this bondmaid, and he had a son, and God said, "That's that's not what I promised you." And so later on, in God's timing, he has a son with Sarah who was his wife, and God put his blessing upon that son. Paul here is saying that this is an allegory, or this is an analogy, that the the first son, the one that was born to to a bondwoman, is likened unto the Old Testament covenant, the covenant that was given at Mount Sinai. The son that belonged to Sarah is representative of New Testament church. He says in the end there, but Jerusalem, and if we're following in here, Jerusalem representing the church, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Another way to look at that and just playing on words here and pulling out what scripture uses, the church is the bride of Christ. So again, bride of Christ, Christ is the father, church is the mother. Church is not just a place to attend, but rather it's a caring, guiding voice and example to help us live for God. There's a structure of leadership and authority within the church, just as there is within a family. None of us within our homes uh, as fathers, certainly not as mothers, would say, well, you know what, whatever dad says goes. And if dad's not around, just who cares what mom says? disrespect mom, don't appreciate mom. We wouldn't allow that to operate. We wouldn't allow things to operate that way in our home. Nor does God want things to operate that way within his family. Because the church is made up of people. This is where it gets sticky because the church is made up of people. Sometimes we allow pride or desire for privacy to cause us to neglect the resource of our spiritual mother. Because I don't want you to know what my problems are. And I don't want you to know what I'm struggling with. And I don't want you to see anything uh, that, that might reflect negatively. Here we go back to my family. My name. It, it, it comes back to that being able to pull away and really understand that it's not about my family. And my name. This is the family, like Jesus said. That had to be completely offensive to his mom and his brothers that were standing there. When they were, st- they're standing there. They're, all they want is a few minutes of his time, and he says, "Who is my mom? Who is my brothers?" And they're probably in the back with their hand up, and he turns away from them and looks at, at other people, other disciples, and says, "Here's my mom. Here's my brothers. Here's my sisters." their hands that had to be so offensive but they stuck around they didn't get so offended that they just stormed off and left we've got to get to a point in the church where where we understand that it's there for our benefit the church is one of the greatest resources that God has given us Jeremiah 3 and 15 God promises I will give you pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And that's just a passage that refers to pastors. The church is so much more than just the structure of leadership that's been put in place there. It talks about the body, ministering to the body, being able to come alongside one another. I have seen this in action, and that's, that's why I'm a little bit passionate about it, because I've watched families get torn apart I've seen things happen in in a death in a family. Lead a a member of a family, a grown adult person, part of a marriage into adultery. And when it seemed like everything was gone, all hope was gone. There was biblical grounds for divorce. Children would have been caught in the middle. It could have gotten so ugly. There was a church that came around this family and loved them and helped them and nursed them back to health. And to this day, they are some of the finest people that I know. But where would that family have been? Where would those people have been without a, a mother, without a church to come alongside and say, you know what, we can, we can help you with this. We're going to nurture you back to health. We're, we're just going to keep helping. Matthew 12, we read it in the beginning. I'll read 49 and 50 again. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brother. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. So this just resolidifies the point I'm making about the church holding a, a place in our life as the mother. He, he said, All these disciples, anyone who's who's willing to follow after me and obey my teachings, here's mine, here's my mother. But he also said, they're all my brothers and my sisters. That's, that's a lot of brothers and sisters. I was very intentional, and we've kind of backed away from it now because there's a little bit more of a culture. But when we started the church here, I avoided that terminology. Because it doesn't make sense to people that are lost. We're all walking around the church. Hi, brother or so. Yes, sister this, brother that. And they are like... What kind of cult is this? Are they all related? Is it, I mean, what's really going on? Here? Because they don't have an understanding of what I'm talking. Nobody's ever taught this Bible study. Nobody's ever walked through scripture and explained this to them so they're like, why? And then, and then it really gets weird when they've come for like 2 or 3 weeks and they're still they still have no idea what's going on when somebody walks up and calls them brother or sister. <laughs> they're like, not me. I'm not your brother. Because they don't have that, that mentality. They don't understand what's being talked about here. The church collectively was referred to as as brothers and sisters. The church is designed to be interdependent. Interdependent. Dependent. Not dependent. And certainly not independent. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. Right? So I can say, well, I'm I'm independent. Bless God. I'm gonna do my I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna pray. I'm just gonna I'm gonna you know talk to my neighbors about Jesus. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be independent. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have my relationship with Jesus. And it's gonna be me and Jesus, me and Jesus. That's not biblically correct. It's just not. We're also not supposed to be dependent. we oh man, if I don't get to church on Sunday, I'm probably going to be at the bar by Monday. Oh, I just, I don't know if I can make it. If I, oh, I just can't live for God without somebody holding my hand. That's not biblically correct either. But there is a, a healthy place in the middle where we're interdependent. I'm strong enough within my relationship with God to do what's right because it's what's right. But I also have a web of people around me, brothers and sisters, that if they notice something going awry, they can give me a phone call or they can wrap an arm around my shoulder and say, hey, I just just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. There's people that maybe if they don't see it because we're all really good at putting on a show and, and fooling everyone and we can just trick everybody but, but when I'm really going through something, I can say, hey, you know what? I, man, I need somebody to talk to. Can we get a coffee? Can we, can we spend a few minutes? And there's a brother or a sister there, whatever's appropriate, that's going to say, absolutely. Because I'm here for you. We depend on one another. We need each other in order to fulfill all that God wants us to be. Proverbs 17, 17 says it like this. A friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. That's not a confirmation of sibling rivalry. Brothers are born so you have someone to fight with. That's not what the scripture's saying. It says that, that hey, listen, friends are great. Friends are going to love you at all times. But you know what? Sometimes what you need is not somebody that just says, oh, I love you. I love you so much. I really love I mean, you. I love you. You're like, yeah, don't get my head kicked in my life. Yeah, but I I love you. Even with all those bruises, even with all those scars, I love you. Boy, I sure do love you. Yeah, then help me. The scripture says a friend loves at all times, but they're not going to, a true friend isn't going to turn their back on you just because you go through a hard time or anything. But a brother is born for adversity. Because when adversity comes, you're not going to stand alone. When, when people come against you and life comes against you and challenges arise, you're not standing there all by yourself looking, looking around to see what, who's going to help you. There's going to be a brother that's standing next to you, ready for adversity, ready to go to battle alongside of you. They're there. They have your back. That's the way we have to approach our relationship one with another. We have to have each other's back. I've got to be able to depend on you. You ought to be able to depend on me. We rejoice together. You know what there's no room for in in the family of God? is jealousy. Something good happens to a brother. Man, they're blessed. Your sister gets blessed. And and they tell you all about it. And you're like, oh, that's wonderful. And you're jealous. I didn't get that blessing. Why didn't I get that? Stop it. Stop it. Think about what you do have. Rejoice. Rejoice with one another. It's really kind of the pits when you have something great to rejoice about and nobody to rejoice with. Like something really good happens and you got nobody you can share it with. It's not that way in the church. You've got brothers, you've got sisters. We mourn together. We ought not have to mourn or go through through loss and struggle alone. God's given us a, a network of brothers and sisters to help us. We work together. And the scripture says, "If if two labor together, they have a greater reward for their labor." We work together to to build the kingdom. We work together to build up our families. We work together to raise our children. And I don't just say that in passing. Like when I bring my kids into this church week in and week out when you do the same we would be foolish not to think that the other members of this church don't have an influence on our children we're working together to raise up godly children we're doing the best we can we, we go through strengths together we go through struggles together some things that could be done alone could be done better together Say that again, let us think in. Some things that could be done alone. You could succeed by yourself, but it could be done better together. Leviticus chapter 26, 7 and 8. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Last week we talked about the power of one. And the eternal impact that one life fully lived for Jesus can make. It's is really unknowable this side of heaven. But some things that could be done alone could be done better together. And so if, if the power of one is quite seriously, unmeasurable this side of heaven. What what about the power of ten? What about the power of a hundred? What about the power of thousands and millions working around the world for the same goal, the same cause? Now, I, I'm not a genius at math, but these numbers don't really seem to add up. It says that if five of you shall chase a hundred, so that's Five to a hundred, and a hundred, a hundred of you, which is twenty percent. No, times twenty. Five times twenty is a hundred. Yeah, gotta help me out here. Five times twenty is hundred. So if five can chase a hundred, then really a hundred should be able to chase two thousand. Right? The math tracks there. But that's not what the scripture said. He said five can chase a hundred. And if you get a hundred, they're going to chase 10,000. There's exponential um, results to unified labor. See, what's the big deal about the church? This is the big deal about the church. God put it in place for a reason. There's something about it when people get together and they really embrace one another and say, "You know what? You're you're my brother. You're my sister. We got the same daddy in heaven. We're working for the same goal. We're going to do this together." And they put their minds to something, and God backs that kind of unity. Amazing things takes place. I'm going to close. I'll close with this statement. I cannot be what God desires me to be outside of the family of God. I, I cannot be everything God desires me to be outside of the family of God. Because the gifts and the talents and the things that He's placed into my life are there to be a blessing to His kingdom and to His church. When we read through Scripture, that's so abundantly clear. All the gifts. We talk about spiritual gifts, prophecy and tongues and interpretation and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. And, and he says, seek after these, earnestly seek after these things. And, and they're all for the benefit of the body. So I can, I can live for God all by myself and, and I can prophesy to the wind and I can do all these spiritual things. But if I'm not plugged in to the family of God it's not doing anyone any good, how spiritual am I? I? I can't fulfill my You can't fulfill your calling outside of the family of God. He's called us into something. And that's what He's coming back for. He's coming back for that group. We need one another. Iron sharpens iron. So does the, a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. When, when people get together, you know what? Just like that adopted family, sometimes there is some friction. And there are some things in my life that don't quite line up with things in your life. And we start rubbing shoulders together. But you know what happens after time is all those rough edges. If we just stick to the process, if we just stay committed to it, all those rough edges get rubbed off after a while. And we're left sharper and we're left better and we're left smoother and we fit together more perfectly because it has taken place. So today as we we pray, we'll, we'll have a time of prayer, turn on some music here, but evaluate where you're at. Where's your commitment to the Lord, to the Father? Where are you at in this adoption process? Because like I said, we can know God in a lot of ways. And have not taken this step. And this is a step worth taking. And if you're where you need to be with the Lord, then where are you at with the church? Where am I with my brothers and my sisters? God takes this so seriously that even in the Old Testament, He said, Hey, if you bring an offering to me and remember that somebody has something against you, go make it right and then come back and, and give your offering Because it's that important to God. Where am I? Where am I with the church? Within my own spirit? Are there relationships that I need to work on? Is there anything going on in my life? And man if both of those things are right. Then just rejoice. Thank the Lord for the family that he's given you. We got a pretty good thing going on around here. So I'm going to give you time to pray. You can talk to the Lord as you see fit. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.